Welcome to episode 30 of the Baseball HQ Eyes Have It podcast. I'm uh, your host, Brent Hershey, and always I'm joined by my co-host, Chris Blessing. Uh, we got an exciting show for you uh, this evening. It's this was recording this on Monday, um, Memorial Day. Happy Memorial Day to everyone, post-Memorial Day when you're listening to this. Uh, how are you doing, Chris? I'm doing well. Just got back from a little picnic. And of course, you know, remember, knows who have sacrificed the most uh, for our freedom. So, um, you know, having having a good weekend, getting caught up on some things and, and also thinking about them. Um, how was your week, Brent? My week was pretty, pretty good. I got to get away for the um, Friday, Saturday, Sunday a little bit um, and enjoyed uh, enjoyed that little mini break, um, but back at it uh, today. So our 30th episode here um, is going to look a little different than our previous 29. We're going to basically mostly be talking about pitching buckets, uh, a term Chris brought to the website several years ago when he was breaking down the first round uh, draft prospects. And I was just looking back today and it looks like we uh, that was in 2019 and we did it again in 2020 and 2021 also. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just a, a good way to kind of, mm-hmm. uh, categorize these, uh, prospects overall, um, as we, uh, get them, you know, before they've gotten their pro debuts and, and, uh, just to get, get a, get a general grade on them. Uh, but first, Chris, you were at the ballpark this week and it sounds like, uh, like sometimes happens. It didn't go quite as you expected. Uh, what can you tell us about your trip this week? Yes, uh, I had a hopeful plan, we'll call it, for Wednesday evening, where I was going to see Andrew Abbott versus Sean Burke. Uh, Abbott actually threw on Thursday, missed out on that. Um, (laughs) And actually, this is kind of funny and almost sad, too. Uh, uh, Last Wednesday was my wife's birthday, and she gave me permission because she knew that this was the only day I'd get out. Uh, to be able to go see guys that I could cover. So uh, we celebrated her birthday on Sunday instead. Uh, But there was definite foul by going Wednesday night to Chattanooga. Um, Unfortunately, the guy that Andrew Abbott, I was hopefully hoping he would be opposing, Sean Burke, did pitch. And he had a really rough time. So, uh, you know, just kind of breaking down when you go and see a guy. So, um First off, Sean Burke, 2021 third round pick at the University of Maryland. He's a he's a big guy. He's like six foot six, two thirty. Hmm. Uh, all of it's truthful. He's a, he's a big yeah. guy. Um, uh, known for mostly pitchability. Unfortunately, I did not see that in the start. Hmm. So from time to time, we're going to run into guys, of course, that aren't going to have their best day. And if we were, if I was a regular scout, I still would be responsible for the report. Uh, So essentially I'd have to ask around, hopefully talk to somebody who had seen Sean Burke. Good. Uh, Hope that I had seen enough of Sean Burke that particular day to be able to write my report. Uh, I think that there was one other, maybe two scouts there that were scouting uh, Burke. Uh, I think one of them was definitely scouting Burke. I'm not sure about the other. And then also mm-hmm. White Sox personnel were there too, including their their pitching coordinator. So if it, if this was to happen in front of somebody, some people will say, hey, too bad it happened in front of the pitching coordinator. But the way I look at it, he's the guy that's most likely going to see what needs to be fixed so it doesn't yeah. happen again. Yeah. And so, what, are, what are we and what are we talking like a couple innings and he ooh. was you know just all over the place or what? Two thirds of an inning, forty-two pitches to be exact. Oh it my! Was, okay, it was it was rough. So first batter came up, Mike Ciani of uh, Reds prospect gets yeah. on on an error. Um, it kind of shook him. It was a very routine play; should have been made. Um, I, I believe the second first baseman kind of, um, you know, it was one of their balls, and the other guy kind of got in the way type deal. Uh, yeah. Next hitter hit a ball almost as far as you can hit a ball 
not to go out of the ballpark, and that was Matt McLean, who we've talked about all right. on here and in article form as well. Uh, and then he lost the strike zone. Uh, Burke just completely, his, his shoulder was flying open. Uh, his mechanics were different from pitch to pitch. Uh, he wasn't comfortable whatsoever. Looked like he was rebounding, and then a close call did not go his way. And, of course, the next thing you know, he walks another guy, and he walks another guy. And while the pitching line didn't look terrible, he only gave up one earned run um, because he, you know, that that error that kind of really catapulted right. the whole inning. Um, right. He still walked, I think, three guys total, gave up multiple hits. And, uh, for instance, uh, I think his name's TJ Hopkins. He's a, a Reds minor leaguer. Just kept fouling ball off and fouling ball off until he got a, um, until he earned, uh, I think until he flew out. But like it was 11, 12 pitch at bat. I mean, it was, it was rough. Um, so yeah. what, what do we take from this? A, um, we were able to figure out what his velocity was. He sat pretty much 91, 93 miles per hour with his fastball. Uh, strike rate was below 50%, obviously, but he did get three swing and misses in that inning. You know, and 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 got it out uh, via contact um, fly ball to center field on the fastball. Uh, threw a slider and a curveball. The curveball was seventy six to seventy nine. Uh, it was the better of the two pitches. Just could not throw for strikes. Uh, did get a swing and miss off of one of them. And then he threw kind of a slurvyish slider, which was about eighty one to eighty five. Threw them for strikes. Uh, that was where the damage was done on the hits. Both hits happened off of that pitch. The hard contact, the extra base hit uh, came off of that. Um, they were able to make contact with the pitch and then just never saw a change up. I, I, he might have thrown one. I, I wasn't 100% sure. I think I, I wrote it down for a fastball, but it was like an 88. Yeah, I, I'm going to say it was a misfire on my on my radar gun more than it yeah. was a change up. So, uh, again, Sean Burke. Uh, you know, we're looking at a major league play, uh, pitcher, probably. I mean, already third round pick, already in double A. Mm-hmm. Uh, you right. know, at the very least, he's going to get a cup of coffee at some point in his career. Uh, just the law of averages being a high ranked, po- uh, a whole highly rated draft pick and somebody who is in an organization that's lacking in pitching depth, depth like yeah. the White Sox. So yeah. this isn't the first time. It, it, it might not even be the first time this year. Last, uh, It might not be the last time this year. Um, I go back, and it was a great lesson I learned from a veteran scout who was uh, actually scouting the opposing team, uh, wasn't scouting the particular pitcher. I was scouting that game. Uh, but uh, several years ago, before Luis Castillo of the Reds made his major league mm. debut, I caught a May start in frigid. Well, I shouldn't say frigid, but it was really cold weather here in the South. Um, mm-hmm. And he made it through an inning and a third, maybe something like that. Could not throw strikes. If he threw strikes, they got tattooed. Yeah. And I guess we kind of saw how Luis Castillo was going to handle cold weather, you know, later on <laughs> in his career. Um, always a great second half pickup because his first half tends to not be that great. But like you, you saw the, the the potential. You knew he was a major league player. You knew he was a major league pitcher, a highly rated prospect at that point. Um, but everybody has a stinker. And I hopefully saw Sean Burke stinker the previous time out. He threw uh, very well, five innings, maybe gave up one earned run, uh, had a really good start coming into this. It just happens. I don't know why. Uh, You know, one start, you can have everything working, and then the next start, you're flying open, and you can't throw strikes. Um, But that's that's what happened to Burke. So throw this away. We got some good information (laughs) on velocity, thankfully we're able to go back and watch another start of his. And we have velocities here, so we don't necessarily have to just watch the Rocket City, because uh, in the Southern League, Rocket City has MP uh, mile per hour um, available. I don't just have to watch that feed. Uh, I have that information here uh, already. So to finish this report on Burke, I just have to watch some video. Yeah, it had to, I mean, it's happened to, to me too, where 
you know, you go out to see somebody and it's just, uh, you, you're interested and, and you can tell kind of from the get go that, uh, it's not gonna, it's not that night for that, yeah. uh, pitcher or that, that specific player. I mean, I think the good news is, yeah, looking at his kind of year to date line and stuff and, and sort of the, some of the game logs, like you said, this one is certainly an outlier. Um, it's nothing super fantastic that, that stands out in his kind of his year to date stat line anyway. Uh, but, you know, has, has, has more strikeouts than innings pitched and, uh, isn't, you know, isn't terrible on the walk rate. Um, like you said, third rounder and, and with that build, uh, seems like the Sox, uh, you know, that he'll get another, get another shot at it for sure. Yeah, for of sure. course. And, and, and the funny thing with this, funny thing with this game, and, you know, I'm not going to project him, of course, based off of, off of this look or project him. I haven't done any more background than what we're talking about right now. Uh, I watched some draft video when he got drafted and that was about it. However, you know, just from what I saw, this looks like most likely a guy that gets to the major leagues. Uh, and who knows, this could be his, his worst start of his entire professional career. I got Luis, one of Luis Castillo's worst starts. Uh, I think I got Kyle Muller of of the Braves, uh, still Hmm. a prospect, but a guy that's been up and down. I definitely got his worst start. I would even dare say I got his two or three worst starts. Uh, Kyle (laughs) Muller never wants to see me in the stands. He doesn't know (laughs) who I am, but I'm a really, really bad luck uh, tool um, for him, uh, whether it's opening night in high A, whether it's in an uh, exhibition against uh, Major League Braves, or if it's a double-A start where he could not throw a strike, and I think it was like 14 consecutive balls or something like that, mm-hmm. and they, yeah. they took him out. Uh, like, I've seen him at his worst so many times. So, Sean Burke, I'll try not to run into you again in person. Uh, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully I'm not your bad luck charm like I am for Kyle Muller. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good stuff. It's, uh, like I said, like you said, it sort of happens. So yeah, let's move on throughout our first 29 episodes. Uh, you know, we're striving to kind of give, uh, listeners kind of a different, <clears throat> a different, uh, view of things. So, you know, our niche is kind of covering guys at the park, relying more on obviously what our eyes see. Um, than any combination of other uh, looks or metrics or stats. And, but, you know, we also, of course, have incorporated metrics into our analysis also. Um, but it's mostly been about the looks that lead to our projections. I brought a concept to Baseball HQ that I learned being around, working for, helping out scouts. It's uh, grouping everything we have scouted through the years and putting them in the buckets. So I have a scouting notebook that has hung on for about eight years where I write down different characteristics of things that I believe are um, make up a certain type of skill or a certain type of player. I have my own scouting scale that I don't know if I've ever published anywhere. Um, it's something kind of sacred and kind of close to my, um, I keep close to my pocket and, and mostly yeah. because I, I created it based off of uh I, I basically base this off of some leaked scouting tables that I've gotten, uh, <laughs> scouting scouting information. Um, I've probably have six to eight different ways they scout guys on various teams. So um, I have it. It's basically a collection of everybody. So uh, their scouting chart, essentially. Um, and I'm not the only one. There's there's several of us out there that has this information. So I first applied this to my review and evaluation at Baseball HQ, the first round of the draft, as Brent mentioned earlier, placing recent draftees into these potential bleh, into potential ratings buckets. For example, my article last year grouped uh, Henry Davis and Jack Letter, the number one and number two picks in last year's draft in the 9C potential rating bucket. Um, I also grouped Michael McGreevy and Trey Sweeney into the 7B potential rating group. And I, yeah, I know that not everybody's a subscriber of Baseball HQ. 9C basically means an all-star performer with a 50% chance of getting to that projection. And the 7 is an average performer with its 80, 70% chance of getting to that, that projection. Um, so this concept has always kind of worked for me as a you know, got better at 
scouting guys and analysis, you know, providing analysis. Um, yeah. And I've been able to build this bank book of guys who fit into particular buckets. But most of these buckets are specifically skill-related buckets, not these whole entire buckets like we were talking about in these uh, potential rating article um, for the draft. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, you know, instead of like we do normally where we have scouting reports of three or five guys, uh, let's let's dig into, you know, on the pitcher side anyway for this episode, uh, these kind of buckets. And, and you tell us, um, kind of what the scale is, uh, how we're going to organize that. And then we'll give some, uh, kind of, we'll give some examples of guys that we've seen and, and most of which we've talked about, uh, here in our past 30, 29 episodes, I guess, uh, <laughs> to give, to give the listeners an idea of, uh, of what, uh, of what specific players or what specific pitches fit into, uh, these categories. So, yeah, let's start out with the 2080 scouting uh, scale before we kind of get started. We usually talk in potential ratings here because that's what we use at Baseball HQ. We don't usually talk the scouting uh, scouting scale, the 2080 scouting scale. So the 2080 scouting scale essentially is 20 being low, that's poor, 80 being exceptional. Okay, And so in my own personal charts i always put 80 are you crazy um chris rethink an 80 grade uh 80 grades are are hard to live down if they're not truly 80 grade pitches or 80 grade guys or or whatever the last 80 i put on anything was a hit tool for wander franco um 80 power is something that you know we kind of saw in vlad guerrero jr so like these are these are things that you don't normally put 80s on. So you got to be very careful. So we're not going to talk about 80s, and we're also not going to talk about below average uh, tools or below. So no 40 grade got, um, um, pitches, no 30 grade pitches, no 20 grade pitches. They exist out there. Hmm. You don't, you're not going to run into a 20 grade fastball. Everybody at least has a 40 grade fastball out there, right, Brent? Yeah. No, for sure. I mean, they pitchers just would not get to that point with that poor of a, you know, primary pitch, of course. Yeah, maybe maybe Albert Pujols has a 20-grade fastball at this point. <laughs> right, but, exactly. So, I mean, 20-grade fastball is something that, that I get to see in high school, uh, scouting high school for, for the organization. Uh, you don't mm-hmm. get to see that. You don't get to even see 30-grade fastballs in in the minor leagues. Maybe, maybe a guy who throws really hard that's really straight, I guess, could be like that, you know, yeah. below average to fair to poor type guy. I don't know. I haven't seen many, many 30 grade fastballs. Uh, uh, so we usually start about 40 grade, which is kind of considered below average, 50 grade, which is considered average, 60, which is considered plus, 70, which is considered double plus. Okay. So looking at an average fastball. So I've asked some scouts coming into this, essentially, has the scouting scale for velocity gone up? Uh, essentially, for a long time, 92 miles per hour, 93 miles per hour, depends what team you're talking to. But around there has been the average fastball. And actually, surprisingly, they're still considering that the average fastball. Although fastballs are up, I mean, we're over 94 miles per hour in the major leagues is average fastball velocity. So, like, you know, maybe we need to change that scale. I thought about changing that scale myself on my own stuff, but since since the big leaguer big league organizations haven't really done it, might as well not do it. Um, there's also something that's been said too that you'll hear grades like 55 and 65 uh, be thrown out there. 45 is another common grade too, and, and that's really kind of a feel thing. Um, I've worked for. Uh, I've helped out organizations that don't use those fives. They, they'll call it a five fastball, six fastball, seven fastball, or 50, 60, 70 fastball. You'll never hear uh, in some organizations that 45 or 55 or 65 grade. However, in the mainstream, um, meaning us and other places, you'll hear those. I like to call them those hedge grades um, where and, yeah. and people will fight you over that. But then you talk to a scout who 
lives and breathes the five, six, seven, or 50, 60, 70 type, type rating. And I'll tell you, that's the only way you see it. Either you're something, either you're, you're one thing or you're not. And that, that's essentially how I view it too. So, so we're for this exercise for all three of these pitches. We're going to look at fastballs, breaking pitches, and changeups. We're going to use 50, 60, and 70. And so first, um, is there anything you'd like to add before we get started, Brent? Uh, no, I think you've explained it well. I think that's a uh, good, I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, it, it takes some time, <clears throat> I think, for those that aren't familiar to kind of wrap themselves around the 2080 scale, which is why we don't go into it a ton on uh, Baseball HQ, but it's, uh, but it's helpful, I think, a helpful way to explain it, um, just like you did there to set us up to talk about these different pitches. It, it's so much easier to talk average plus or double plus. Like those words are are synonymous with with yeah. scouting. So it's very easy to just talk those numbers. But what makes up a fastball? It, it, it very much de- depends on you know whether they have attributes uh, that will make it be successful. So when I look at a fifty grade fastball, now um, we. D- already discussed what average velocity was essentially in a perfect world we would say uh 92 to 94 mile per hour fastball um or the potential to get there um average or just slightly below on command and you know we'll have to kind of be fine to get swings and misses uh to get that to get that 50 rating okay i think that the game's kind of changed a little I think the 50 grade fastball has it might be garnering more swings and misses than maybe t- five, 10 years ago. And that's just because of how the game has progressed. And so I look at a 50 grade fastball. Sometimes it could be somebody throwing 95, 96 miles per hour, and maybe the shape of the fastball is not great, or maybe the command's not great of it. Um, but it, the velocity's there enough that can get a few swings and misses and could possibly um, avoid hard contact. Right. So, like, I look at a guy like Levi Stout, uh, who I covered last week for this podcast. Um, he's a Mariners prospect, a righty. And he was a guy that, like, last year we heard was throwing harder and getting more swings and misses on his fastball. Now, he gets swings and misses. It's got to be pretty much up in the zone, Okay. Um, and it's not because of the velocity, the velocity is average velocity. So to get swings and misses, he has to have perfect command. And, and as you know, that's not something that is a common thing. So I could see somebody who's maybe not as comfortable with the 50 grade going to a 55 on him, but I don't believe that he has the metrics, the, the look to get to that 60 grade. I know, Brent, you have an interesting guy, and honestly, it's probably a better example than the guy that I just used. Who's your example for your 50-grade fastball? Yeah, it was a guy that I saw actually just last year when he was in high A, and that's uh, Washington starter Yoan Adon. Um, When I saw him last uh, July um, in, uh, in, in high A, I mean, the fastball, the velocity was there. It was, it was 95, much like it is now. But it, and there were swings and misses. Again, this was, you know, high A hitters. Um, but he, you know, he just didn't command it well. Um, he couldn't, he couldn't consistently get it in the strike zone. Um, the, you know, it, it's, it's success was primarily tied to, I think it's, it's velocity against those high A hitters. Just not being able to command it in a way that would, you know, give it a 60 grade or something like that. I mean, that's a perfect, perfect uh, uh, explanation. Uh, I always go back to Ross Stripling. I know this is the second week in a row <laughs> that we've mentioned Ross Stripling. Uh, but Ross he's Stripling my, moment. <laughs> yeah, but he's my fastball, average fastball dude. Um, yeah. I think that's always good in your chart to have you know, hey, this is uh, this is example. I remember like your average pitching prospect years and years ago. It was a joke between my mentor, Mike Newman, and myself. Uh, J.J. Hoover was that <laughs> most like when we saw him in A-ball, he was the average guy. And you can see, you know, he had a successful major league career for a few years working out of the Reds bullpen. Uh, but like, I mean, that's 
That's what you usually see with the 50 fastball these days, unless somebody has very good command of it or has uh, yeah. secondaries that are much better. So um, one of my other mentors that unfortunately I can't name his name because he's a scout for a team and I don't want him to want to throw him um, <laughs> into this conversation and him hear from the boss, from his boss. But granted, it's it's several years ago and he was actually um, actually one of my bosses at a different website. But um he explained that the 60 grade fastball uh, at that time, and it's kind of changed again, was a guy that missed bats regularly, but may have only missed bats in one half of the zone. So back then it was the two seam fastball. Um, so the difference between a six and a seven fastball is if they miss in both up and down and side to side, like they can miss when they miss essentially. Mm -hmm. um, so he asked me, and this is going back again, um, for a guy that made it to the major leagues and didn't really have the success that I kind of thought he would, Fernando Romero, who was a twins prospect. Hmm. He asked me, he's like, what do you think of his fastball? Is it a six or a seven? And I said, ah, I'm not sure. I'm kind of in between. And he said, Chris, does it, it was a two seam fastball at the time. Does it get swings and misses down? I was like, yes, of course it does. I was like, okay, so we can call it a six at this point. Does it get swings and misses when he misses the zone and throws up? I'm like, nope, it just flattens up and it's on a tee and they hit the ball very hard. Um, and Romero also was a guy that, you know, struggled with command and struggled with injuries. So, again, he's a guy that didn't, didn't – he made it, but he didn't make mm -hmm. it make it, if that makes sense. So yeah. I'll, I'll let you lead off here. A 60-grade, uh, and you actually have two guys. And I actually didn't even include a guy because I really feel like uh, uh, these two guys that you picked are 60-grade fastballs for yeah. vastly different reasons. So I'll let you go and um, explain that one. Yeah, but it's definitely within within the within your sixty grade bucket that you just talked about. Uh, the first one was Griff McGarry, um, a uh, twenty twenty one draft pick of the Phillies that I saw last year um, in September, and um, he's a you know a uh, we talked about him a shorter vertical approach angle uh, guy uh, who has no problem you know with a huge fast arm has no problem missing bats up in the zone, uh, getting swings and misses when he could, when he could ride that, um, he could ride that pitch through the top of that zone. But I did note when I saw him that he was struggling to kind of command and locate it down. Um, uh, so he wasn't getting swings and misses. Uh, there was some contact and he was missing the zone, um, when he located that pitch, uh, down. And the second guy, um, in, in a similar way, was Logan T. Allen, a lefty, uh, who I saw in Double A last year for the Indians. The only one remaining. The good Logan the Allen. The good yeah. Logan Allen. <laughs> the only, the only one, one remaining in the Guardians uh, system. And in my notes there, he was commanding the fastball to his arm side, but had trouble locating it to um, his glove side. Um, again, same thing, you know, being to command it and get some swings and misses for him as a lefty, you know, on the outside corner to righties who would chase it. But when he tried to get strikes with it uh, to the glove side, it would it would uh, either get hit or um, or not be a strike. And so that kind of back and forth, where um, you know, I guess swings and misses on one side of the uh, plate or one zone of the plate, and not on kind of the opposite zone, um, you know, makes McGarry and Allen both fit into that kind of sixty fastball bucket. And then, see, I love that you picked uh, Allen because of the, you know, below average velocity, essentially. I know that at right. times last year it was like 92, 93, but like, you know, he's he's below average velocity. And he's probably right. a guy that we, in previous years, might have backed off on because of that. Uh, so, right. um, love that selection. And I really don't have much to add there um, beyond that. So, We've kind of already talked about the 70 grade fastball, what the differences are. And I think both of us have really good um, examples for, uh, especially your first guy and my, my guy too, 
um, yeah. of that 70 grade fastball. But to just quickly go over that, uh, I look at that, you know, being able to get swings and misses from both sides, uh, a bit more command. You you want some, you want a guy that can command to different quadrants of the strike zone with a dominant pitch at that point mm-hmm. um, where when they do miss, it's rare, but it never really hurts them. And I think that George Kirby, who's your first guy, is a perfect example. You want to you want to go into Kirby? Yeah, yeah. Just quickly, and this is mainly off of uh, looking. You know, a couple episodes ago, when I looked at his first major league start, um, which was my first look at him, I was just uh, you know, it definitely stood out to me uh, that he had command of that pitch to different parts of the strike zone. Um, that he was able to get swings and misses and kind of move the ball uh, both in uh, on the inside corner of the plate and on the outside corner of the plate uh, kind of at will. Now, you know, some of the starts since then have not been quite as pristine, but that, you know, in that debut for sure, um, we saw that pitch, the ability to command that um, to get those swings and misses and or weak contact and, and really be uh, something that, that is effective um, and, you know, he's able to locate and be effective uh, throughout different places in the strike zone. I'm perfect. Perfect, man. Um, I'm going to also, Bobby Miller was your other choice. I think that's another strong, uh, strong guy, a guy that does get the swing and miss from various zones. Uh, maybe doesn't have the command of George Kirby, uh, but like that's where the potential could be for Bobby Miller. Uh, more yeah. than likely, it ends up probably a 60 pitch. Uh, but like when we're projecting, we're always going to be projecting um, to their best case scenario. So yeah. of course, that's yeah. his best case scenario is that 70 fastball. Um, yeah. So I, I, I mean, I don't want to skip over him, but like I think that Kirby and and my guy are t- probably two great examples, and I think. Uh, yeah. My guy, Spencer Strider, mm-hmm. seeing that fastball right now in the major leagues kind of gives you the credence of why that is a double-plus pitch. And, like, so far, Spencer Strider has dominated uh, in his appearances really only throwing one pitch, and it's that fastball. He's thrown that at 73% of his clip in, yeah. as a, you know, in, in this, the Braves' pen. Looks like he's going to be starting more likely uh, into the future. Yeah. But if you look at his metrics specifically on baseball servant, fastball velocity, 99 percentile, um, uh, whiff rate, 93 percentile, fastball spin rate, 95 uh, percentile, chase rate, 65 percent, K percentage, 99 percent. Uh, so essentially, you're seeing a guy here that with one pitch is absolutely dominating. Follow that up with a breaking pitch that's that's also pretty exceptional with the slider. Um, like, you know, he might actually have 270-grade bucket pitches. Yeah. Uh, so that's a good segue. We're, we're actually not going to use him as a you know slider example, um, yeah. for instance. But we figured we grouped the breaking pitches um, uh, together, if that makes sense. Um, uh, honestly, the hardest thing to really scout pitching wise for me, and, and some people might disagree is the quality of a curveball or a slider at the lower levels, specifically a curveball. Uh, what do you think about that? Brent? Is, is, is either of those difficult, more difficult than the other or, or less difficult? I, I find it, uh, I find, I would agree. I find the curveball, uh, more difficult at the lower levels because, uh, I'm, I'm still in my mind sort of calibrating, uh, especially a slower curveball, you know, that finds, that gets, uh, a ball hitters kind of way out in front or catches them off guard that drops in for a strike. Um, I, I always find myself trying to recalibrate and say, I mean, that, you know, that obviously fooled that hitter and he's did done has done, this pitcher has done that a couple times this this game or this evening. But is that gonna be good enough, you know, at the highest level? Like do you see a lot, you know, without 
without any added velocity to like a mid seventies curveball, is that going to be uh, good enough, or is that going to get hit kind of at the major league level? Um, so that a little bit more than a slider, just because I think it's slower and the the change of pace for a low A hitter, um, you know, is is more likely to affect them than a major league hitter. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's, a, it's a little more tough for me to kind of when I'm grading or categorizing those pitches to try to uh, see forward uh, how effective that is or isn't going to be at the major league level. And we grew up in a time where the curveball was was a very dominant uh, secondary, much more than the slider. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I, and I think that that might be where some of my bias comes from in the minor leagues at first, you know, kind of, I, I, I looked at the curveball as this majestic pitch from my youth. I mean, I, I've, I've shared many times that I grew up a Mets fan and I, I grew up a Doc Gooden fan. It's mm-hmm. one of the best curveballs that you'll see, but you know, honestly, there's not many good curveballs out there. It's, it's a, especially in the traditional 12 to six cents. Um, it's something that we don't really tend to see as much as we used to kind of want to break it down. And it's kind of harder because they're, they're two different pitches that sometimes get merged into each other, especially when a guy throws both of those pitches. And that was one of the things I saw last week with uh, Sean Burke uh, was that his slider was, didn't have its own identity in that Mm -hmm. start. Uh, The curveball had this great shape. And had some really good movement and stuff. And, like, you know, it was obviously a 50 pitch, uh, oh, oh, at least a 50 pitch. I mean, I couldn't really judge it given given what happened to Burke during that uh, appearance. Uh, but it was very obvious that the one pitch kind of merged into each other. So uh, there's a lot of guys that throw both curveballs and sliders. So um, to look at a 50 grade curveball, but we'll kind of talk about that first. Um, 50 grade curveball is very, um, you know, it has that shape. It's either going to be a 12 to six, so a straight down type pitch, or it's going to be, if you're a right handed pitcher, maybe 11 to five um, type movement. And when we're talking about that, just think of the clock and how, uh, how the clock kind of works. Um, with that um so you're going to have like a deeper you know for for a curveball you want a deeper movement um profile so like you know watching jackson joe uh, specifically from last week's uh, episode you could see you know the slider was premium um and we'll kind of actually he's actually my example for a, uh one of my examples for a 70 slider potential um but like the curveball was it's a great example of something that is more of a on the five or the 50 grade scale it had good shape it of course had more uh total vertical movement but it was much slower pitch uh and it's something that like he's just showing you know to kind of change an eye level it's not necessarily to get that swing or miss or even to get that out um he'd like to steal strikes with the curveball um, he'd like to, you know, maybe get some soft contact on a guy that doesn't know how to read it. But like the depth isn't that great. You know, it's about average depth because you got to think with the 12 six, you know, you want it to kind of go deep. You want want that spin to be pretty deep. Um, and and the shape of it, you know, traditional 12 six and the, the break isn't, you know, is just average break. There's nothing really special to it. Yes, it has more break than a slider. Um, but that that's kind of what a curveball is. An average slider would be more like what would be a traditional slider that we're used to um, from, you know, all these years. Um, yeah. Be something that might have some tight two-plane break, but it's not anything that's going to be significant break. Um, guys with 50 sliders are going to tend to be guys that need to command that pitch to not get it hit hard. And yeah. there's tons of 50 sliders that get hit hard, even off of some of the some of the better starters out there um, uh, that might rely on a different out pitch and might just use it as a change of pace type deal. Um, right. It's also a good pitch when you're you know trying to get that you know if you're a right-handed hitter pitcher, you're throwing it maybe at a 10 to four break or or even a nine to three break depending on on you know the the shape the break that you're trying to get. So. 
Um, you you included two fifty grade um, yeah. breakers. So, uh, Want to go ahead and go through those? Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> the one was uh, Kay Cavalli, who um, we were uh, went through uh, his rough start last week. I think um, I had seen him at high last year. Also, um, this this most recent start at Triple A. I mean, the thing that stood out to me uh, with that is that he was one of these pitchers that was throwing both a curveball and a slider, but neither really, but they weren't that distinct, uh, d- distinctly different. Um, and neither one, he was really able to command, at least in, in that start. Um, again, there were times when, uh, this was in triple a where he could, where he could land a curveball for a strike, like a strike one or something like that to get the, you know, change of pace to get in the bat off that way. But there was n- never a time where he was throwing it, you know, to get th- there was never a time when he was throwing it and got a uh, successful chase for a third strike or or anything like that. So I think both the combination of, you know, using the breaking pitches bucket and having both of his curveball and slider, neither one which is real distinct uh, or having uh, really outstanding characteristics is one thing. And then another, and then another aspect of kind of just this average pitch is, you know, not quite being able to command it or uh, get, you know, even an occasional swing and miss on a pitch like that. The other, the other pitcher that came to mind uh, was Yankees prospects Luis Medina, uh, who throws a slider and just in the starts that I have seen over the years, just the quality of that just varies just widely. I mean, it's nothing he can really count on. Uh, once or twice a game, he'll snap off this great late breaking two plane movement pitch. And you're like, you know, there it is. But the next time he goes back to it and the next time and the next time, uh, the, you know, it's, it flattens out, it gets hit. Uh, it's, it's easy to see out of his hand and moves out of the zone. So, you know, it's one of these frustrating things where you can see him once in a while break a, a really good one off, but just the inconsistency of not being able to execute that each time, I think overall gives the pitch like a, a 50 grade. Yeah. I'm not allowed to say his name ever again. I'm on a gag order. So, I know, um, but that's why, I, that, my, that's why I took it. I know you did. <laughs> my average, my average uh, slider that I, I kind of chose for this was uh, a guy that I uh, wrote up last week, uh, Ricky Tiedemann from the Blue Jays organization. I don't know if anybody's followed him. Um, I, I wrote him up. It was kind of my first exposure. He was a junior college kid. Um, fastball, big fastball, big, big changeup. Average at best slider. So it's a sweeping slider. So he does get some, you know, some significant sweeping action, which does also come with some vertical break. However, it's an early horizontal breaker. So like the break is early in the pitch progression. So it's kind of something that hitters see coming. Uh, so if it looks like it's going to sweep out of the zone, guess what? They're going to just lay off the pitch. If it looks like it's coming for a corner and stuff, maybe they, um, you know, shift their body weight or something and try to, you know, connect with the pitch if it's away from them to take it the other way type deal. So like when pit, when spin comes early, that's not necessarily a, a, you know, red flag, but sometimes it, it really messes with the quality of that pitch. So in this mm-hmm. case, like to me, he's a 50 caliber slider. Um, so 60, it goes a little up. You're, you're looking at a tighter, usually for a slider, tighter spin, uh, for curveball, it's going to be a more pronounced break, um, with good depth, um, and, and, uh, good shape. Um, of course, you know, the shapes 12, six, uh, the depth is, is keeping that spin nice and tight. Uh, and then with a slider, it's using that two plane break. And in today's game, that two plane break can either usually come as like a sweeping pitch off the back foot of a different um, handed hitter, or it could be that vertical late break uh, that we are kind of becoming more accustomed to seeing today, a more gyro type break. And so it could be a combination. Maybe they have some command to it as well, uh, but it's a pitch that they're going to get a lot of swing and miss on, Um, but Still not to the levels of what a s- exceptional uh, pitch would be. 
So yeah. you have the perfect 60 grade slider as well. Uh, and it's a guy <laughs> that we've already mentioned. So go ahead. Yeah, Logan T. Allen, again, out of the Guardians organization, um, has this uh, really tight slider as a left-hander that uh, in the start that I saw him last year in double A really, really worked it excellently to, you know, you mentioned that kind of the bat, back foot of a right-handed batter. So really a pitch that comes uh, all the way across the plate, dives into uh, a right-handed batter's back foot, and just the, the break of it uh, makes it really uh, difficult to square up, let alone uh, hit. I think the fact that it's, uh, prim- that when I saw it anyway, it was primarily used against right-handed uh, hitters and um, not as much against uh, lefties, was, was less successful against lefties, kind of keeps it in this 60-grade um, bucket. I mean, you can see um, against that, basically, yeah, against that one-sided hitter, uh, it, it can really, he can really snap it off. Um, the added, I think the added attribute for him is that he tunnels it really well out of his uh, same slot that the fastball yes. comes from, um, and so that uh, makes it difficult to pick up as well. Um, but it's just not, while it's really good, it's just not the monster pitch, uh, that we would put a 70 on in a, in a 70 bucket. Yeah. And he's such a, you know, he's a smaller stature guy. And because of a low three quarter slot, he's delivering the ball at a very, uh, you know, low height, essentially. I think it's below five foot four. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but like, you know, it's it's an angle that we don't normally see fastballs come out of, and that's what makes his fastball so good, uh, despite the velocity and um, why his slider is so good as well, because he tunnels it off of that pitch. And, you know, late in the pitch progression, it, it becomes dangerous. Um, so Dre Jameson is my 70-grade slider. So essentially what a 70-grade slider, um, Dre Jameson's a great example Um the other guy I thought about was uh, was Meyer from the from the Marlins organization, but Dre, we've talked about him a bunch, uh, whether it's been in articles or on this podcast. And essentially, this is a dynamic break. Um, this is two plane break. It comes late in the progression. He's a shorter stature guy, you know, and there are some concerns that this might be a reliever profile given his stature and the way that he throws uh, throws his pitches. But essentially, this is a pitch that it just has devastating two-plane break uh, to it. And the vertical break is uh, is exceptional vertical break for a slider. Um, you know, more and more we're seeing sliders, I guess they were at one time kind of called power curveballs uh, type breaks. Uh, we were used to calling them power curveballs. Now they have a sl- they have a more of a slider uh, spin profile. And Dre Jameson's uh, um, spin rate's high. Um, this is just a guy that just it, the pitch just drops off uh, very late. Uh, he can also um, throw for strikes as well. It's kind of a dangerous uh, combination where he, you know, just changes the pressure points a bit and is able to dominate. And we also talked about Jackson Job. Uh, his slider uh, has these characteristics as well. Essentially, what we're looking at here is a guy that uh, even when one of those elements is missing can still get that swing and miss. And Jameson's movement, both horizontally and vertically, uh, and Job's too, get that done. All right. Well, our final pitch we're going to go through is there's some taboo behind the changeup and calling any changeup above a 60 grade. And a lot of times you'll also see a lot of reports show changeups as future 50s. And I asked a few of my scouting contacts through the years why people are afraid to just kind of down somebody's slide, somebody's changeup. And the answer comes with what kind of pitch it is. It's a feel pitch. And feel pitch, you know, anytime you rely on the feel of the, of the baseball to really kind of um, drive the success of a pitch – uh, guys can gain it, lose it, uh, all kinds of different things from pitch to pitch sometimes. But over seasons, they can just lose the pitch. So scouts are very, uh, when you turn in a, a player that's uh, for the draft that you like, uh, you might throw a 50 changeup even though 
you might not necessarily ever get close to that. Um, but you feel like maybe he's a good athlete. And, of course, you know, the changeup, again, feel pitch. Also, there's a lot of athletic ability that has to go into a changeup. Uh, you're essentially trying to mimic the arm speed of your fastball, try to get it into the same tunnel, all of that kind of stuff. So, like, you're you're willing to go on a limb if you're an amateur scout on an athlete who has a crappy slot, a crappy changeup compared to somebody who isn't. And I go back a lot of my changeup was watching. Uh, Jerry's familiar in the minor leagues try to develop a changeup um, and talk about a a disaster. It was a disaster, <laughs> and eventually he figured out something when he got to the major leagues for a little bit where he could throw a splitter, and then like there was some tells there, and it wasn't really necessarily the most successful pitch after the first six weeks of usage. Uh, but you really see a guy, if you guys remember, if you guys, I shouldn't say remember, you guys uh, can tune into a Phillies game or, you know, you might have been like me who tuned into a bunch of Mets games for years. Um, uh, Jerry's familiar is not the most athletic looking dude. He's just a big, uh, hawking, uh, powerful, uh, right-handed sinker ball pitcher. And so, like, looking at him and comparing him to somebody who, you know, has – some athletic ability uh beyond you know some ex- more exceptional athletic ability um it was easy to put that 30 to 20 20 to 30 change up on a grade on him back in 2012 2011 whenever it was that i saw him. uh so i go back a lot of times and i see see guys throw similar have similar issues with their change up and uh you know I'm not going to go out on a limb on a guy that doesn't have the athletic ability and doesn't have the feel for the pitch. So um, the better the athlete, it seemingly um, it, it kind of comes true that the better the changeup will be. So yeah. an average changeup is essentially a pitch that uh, you're, you're trying to have the little change of pace off of your fastball. Um, I would say the average Changeup would have maybe about five to six miles per hour of uh, uh, speed differential from the fastball. So if you're throwing a 93 mile per hour fastball, you would like to see an 86, 87 mile per hour changeup. A lot of guys will go a little lower than that, um, but it's not necessarily. It, it's usually they go lower than that because they'll have a tell in their their delivery where they might slow down their delivery or uh, slow down their delivery action or slow down their arm. Or, or or something else. It could be something completely else. It could be a different slot that they throw the pitch at to try to get it uh, get it to you know slow down even more. Uh, but the average uh, changeup is going to have five to seven miles per hour off of it. It's going to have a flatter plane coming into the strike zone, and you will hopefully get some two seam uh, arm side running movement with it. Uh, there'll be a little bit fading action. And we've kind of described what fading action is on here. So fading actions tends to be something that, you know, it just fades away slightly, a little bit down and a little bit um, out to the arm side. Uh, We've called it also bore as well. Um, So it's not something you're going to rarely see drop, late drop. So it's essentially, if you guys, another uh, old uh, change-up guy, Bobby Ojeda, uh, would throw a changeup that was a 58-foot changeup, and that drop at the end would just be devastating. Uh, I can't think of a good contemporary right now, of course. Um, so for a 50-grade changeup, again, we put a lot of guys with a 50-grade changeup. You know, I got to see Calvin Ziegler, a uh, Mets prospect. Um, and he's a guy that threw a changeup with some good characteristics, I uh, had no command of it. It was mid to high 80s changeup. It was uh, his fastball was sitting in the low to mid 90s. So like, you know, good speed differential off of that pitch. Um, you know, he had some struggles in that start where he was unable to really command the pitch. But there were some uh, occasions where the pitcher pitch actually showed some shape. It showed some solid arm side running action and some fading action as well. So, like, again, this is a guy that if he had some better feel for the pitch, or it's all comfort. And um, mm-hmm. the more you use a particular um, 
particular grip, the more likely you're going to get better. So with repetition, I can see Mets prospect Calvin Ziegler having an average changeup when everything's all said or done. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I had, uh, I had a couple guys in the kind of in the 60 range, which I assume, you know, for me, when I think about a 60 <clears throat> change up, there's some, again, a, a little bit like talking about Logan Allen's slider. I mean, there's some like aspect that you see um, the pitcher kind of repeat um, that kind of catches your eye and it's, but it's, you know, it's, it's inconsistent. It's still kind of, um, in, in progress there. And when I think of sixties for that, uh, one was just this, was just this year and, and it was Kyle Bradish of the, of the Orioles. Um, again, kind of watching that debut start and, and seeing some of his, uh, outings since then, um, there are times against left-handed batters. I mean, when he throws a, uh, really great change that, uh, that definitely has this fading action um starts on the outside corner to a lefty and just fades right um you know right into the uh towards the right-handed hitter's batter's box um it's a pitch that because of uh because of his kind of unique sort of over the top delivery um you know i think i think that hitters do have trouble picking it up and by the time you know they commit to their swing it kind of uh is off to, you know, is off for a swing and miss. Um, the downside is that doesn't happen all the time. Uh, you know, sometimes it starts again to a lefty a little bit further inside and leaks out, has that fade to kind of right into the sweet spot and, uh, can get hit around, uh, some. And, uh, so I think it's that in- inconsistency, um, but also seeing the good parts of that, 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 uh, identifies it as a, as a 60. The other one uh, that I came up with, uh, Washington uh, pitcher Cole Henry, um, when I saw him out at the AFL last year, um, just noticed how, and this wasn't as much uh, swing and miss, um, but really soft, <clears throat> really soft contact. I mean, it was definitely an out pitch um, that you could just tell, uh, again, a right-hander that was throwing a pitch that was really putting, um, you know, disrupting the timing of, of the batters. And they were just so far out in front, um, you know, rolling it over, uh, lots of ground balls, uh, not being able to stay back on it. Um, and again, I give it a 60 because it was obvious that, that, that was, that that was in there for him. Uh, it was working well as a field pitch in that one outing, which may have been just three or four innings. Well, my my sixty grade one's Ricky Tiedemann of the Blue Jays, who we rep, um, I mentioned for a fifty grade uh, uh, slider, uh, and this my explanation for this is essentially he's a guy. He, there's really no tell in the delivery. There's good separation off the fastball, and there's solid arm side fade, and that occasional late drop essentially makes this a sixty pitch. Now, if the uh, occasional late drop turns into consistent late drop, then we're yeah. talking about a 70-grade pitch. And right. here's the funny thing is, and you know, we we kind of, in the introduction to this, I spoke a little bit about this. We're entering into the territory where a lot of scouts won't throw 70s on a changeup. Um, so I'm setting um, Brent up right now uh, <laughs> to throw a 70 on a guy. But before he does that, I'm going to say that my example of a 70 grade changeup, uh, when I was thinking about this earlier, is the same guy that he chose that he saw at the Futures game. Uh, Brent, huh. uh, tell us about Cole Wynn's 70 grade changeup. <laughs> yeah, I had no idea. Um, yeah, I, I just have notes from last year's Futures game uh, about his changeup. Um, and what, what it, and the interesting thing that stood out to me about that is that unlike uh, most of the other minor league games I go to where I'm sitting behind the home plate and all that, when I was at the Futures game, I was up in the press box taking taking notes and, and doing some stuff from up there. So it was definitely a different, um, a different view for me. And even from kind of that far away, and I think he just pitched an inning 
um, you know, you could see that the, that this changeup was just uh, disrupting uh, batters consistently, um, getting them out in front, uh, swings and misses. Um, and I, and I have him in this 70 range, I think, because of uh, what you mentioned before about kind of the introduction to the changeups is that it's so much of a feel pitch and we're more likely to put a grade like this on a pitch like this for a very athletic, uh, you know, guy. Uh, Cole Wynn is that, you know, he's got the perfect starter's build. He's whatever, 6'2", 190. Uh, his movements are fluid. Uh, he's a great athlete, you know, fielder off the mound. Um, so when you see those types of things um, in the other aspects when you're grading out a pitcher, it gives you the ability to sort of convince yourself that, yes, this guy could, could execute uh, this field pitch again and again and get it to a 70-grade uh, uh, pitch. And I think about, you know, you talk about, um, you know, watching some of the Mets, and, of course, uh, you know, I'm a Phillies fan, and I think of, you know, the, watching Cole Hamels change up uh, uh, yes. throughout all those years. And when I think about, a you know, a 70-grade change-up like that, um, that's what comes to mind for me. Um, and, they, they, again, there is like the perfect like starting pitcher athlete uh, build, you know, mm-hmm. ability to repeat that um, ability to mix his pitches to, you know, we weren't calling it tunneling then, but it, it was, it's very similar pitches coming out of the same slot and just uh, you know, just the fading and the drop action that he consistently uh, would get on that pitch uh, start after start um, is someone is, is what comes to mind when I think of a, uh, you know, uh, just an exceptional changeup. And and I I just find it funny why more uh, scouts won't use that grade. I used that grade on D.L. Hall um, when I saw him, hmm. the Orioles prospect, a few years yep. ago. And it hasn't, I understand, like sometimes it just doesn't develop into that 70-grade pitch. But again, we had an exceptional athlete. He was shorter stature, yes. Uh, but like he was a guy that was known to dunk a, you know, basketball from a standing position, not not needing to run or anything like that. Like there were some hops there. He showed like it was developing. Yes, some injuries have happened. The pandemic happened, and maybe maybe that will never uh, never really materialize. But I'm okay with throwing that uh, potential double plus on a guy in a ball uh, that has those characteristics. It's already showing a pitch. That uh, you know is at least above average changeup at that point, and yeah. unfortunately, I think it still looks like an above average changeup. So, um, you know, who knows what that uh, what that will happen, what will happen to a changeup uh, through the years? But I think we should be uh, we should be okay with putting those grades on guys. Yeah, I think uh, I think it's a really good point about kind of sticking, you know. Taking taking all that information um, and uh, you know going going with that if it seems to if, if all the information seems to support uh, that conclusion. This has been a really fun kind of uh, chat about <laughs> all these uh, pitch grades and these buckets and uh, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully the uh, listeners have enjoyed it as well. Um, as we wrap up here, uh, what's on tap for you, Chris, this week? Well, I've got Rays and Angels prospects, so like always, and I think we're going to spend an entire episode next week on the Rays development and and what that uh, what that machine looks like. Uh, yeah. But the Rays Bowling Green affiliate might be one of the most loaded uh, teams I've seen with interesting guys. Now, there's probably not a top 100 name here, but the squad is loaded. Uh, there's Osvalis Basabe. Uh, uh, Heriberto, Heriberto Hernandez, um, Alika Williams, Kyle Manzardo, Alexander Ovalis, uh, some really good position players and some pitchers too. Ian Seymour, Patrick Wicklander, Mason Montgomery, who might be the best prospect on the team and might be the one guy I don't get to see. Um, and Logan Workman, who I have a long history with, uh, scouting him for several seasons at 
uh, Division II Lee University, which is just down the, down the block from me. But I, I don't know what degree of information I'm going to be able to bring. So it could be a very interesting look at Logan Workman or just a, a scouting look. And I'm also, like I said, going to see Angels uh, AA affiliate prospects. It's not really the strongest team. However, if you were doing a top five prospects at midseason list, uh, three of those guys from the Angel system would be there. Uh, Sam Bachman, uh, starting pitcher, Kyle Bush, Kai Bush, uh, another starting pitcher, and Jeremiah Jackson, a middle infielder. Um, it's a weak system, so, uh, so and especially with the graduation of Reed Detmer. Yeah. So it's yeah. it could be it could be a rough uh, look for me. Um, hopefully yeah. one yeah. of those guys pops up. So uh, Brent, what are you up to next week or this week? Uh, yeah, there's a uh, possibility I may get out to um, Aberdeen. Uh, have to see how things work out. Um, but I was looking at uh, June earlier today, and there will definitely be some uh, good stuff coming for me over the next uh, several weeks. Yeah, I think uh, I think that about wraps it up. We we'll look forward to uh, hearing about the, the Rays uh, next week or uh, whatever else crosses your uh, path and and we'll hope uh we'll hope that uh things work out a little better than uh than it did for you this last week um but as always uh thank the listeners for checking out this episode of the eyes have it before you log us off can you uh, uh give us a good rating and review that's uh the way that people can help help find us and we'd really appreciate that We'd love to answer listener questions. You can email us at, at the eyes have it at baseballhq.com or re- reach out to us on Twitter. Chris is at C underscore blessing. And you can find me at Brent HQ. Uh, thanks for listening and subscribing and uh, share this podcast with others. Chris, until next week, have a good one. You too. Have a good one. <laughs>